Let's pray, and I want you to take your scriptures and go ahead and turn over to Matthew 6, and we'll get going. Heavenly Father, we thank you as we're into this whole theme of uh, generosity, reimagined, and what it looks like to multiply. Uh, what it looks like is to allow your goodness to come into our lives and then to give it back. And Lord, sometimes it's hard to totally trust you. Lord, that's what we pray for, trust, because you love us so much. You're, you're worthy of our trust. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. If you look over to Matthew 6, again, we're going to get there in just a moment, uh, and we're into this generosity reimagined. And uh, I was thinking about uh, some of you are probably going to be in an awkward situation because it's Thanksgiving. Did you guys know that Thursday's Thanksgiving? And uh, so maybe some of you are going to be in a, in a room with a lot of people for long periods of time, and let's just be honest, you're watching the Lions play, and why would we do that to ourselves? But anyway, we're watching it, and it gets boring. And so I'm going to give you a couple of questions to help spice it up. So in other words, you're in a boring group, like your family, and you're like, hey, I'm going to spice it up. So I'm going to give you some questions. Just throw it out there, okay? Okay, here's question number one. What's the weirdest thing you've seen in someone else's home? Okay, that's a good one. So with your family, hey, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen in someone else's home? Question number two. Who's the messiest person you know? Maybe it's somebody in your family that's going to be there Thursday. Maybe this is your intervention. Maybe this is your way to saying you are, okay? Number three, now this, one's a, this is a fun one. What, if you had a lot of money, what would you name your dream boat? What would you name your dream boat? Uh, now, here's a few examples of what I mean, uh, that people name their dream boat. Plan B. I like that, plan B. Uh, there's, this is a good one. Uh, grounds for divorce. That's an interesting one for a boat. And then my favorite one is freedom. Freedom. Now, in all seriousness, have you ever thought about the power of a question that is asked at the right time? Albert Einstein said this, and I love this. If I had an hour to solve a problem and my life depended on the solution, I would spend 55 minutes determining the proper question to ask. For once I know the proper question, I could solve the problem in less than five minutes. The power of a question. Now, let me ask you something. Did Jesus ask a lot of questions? And the answer is absolutely. In the book of Matthew alone, 80 times Jesus asked a specific question. How many have uh, preschoolers, grandchildren or children? Anyone? Do they ask any questions? Trust me. They ask questions all the time. Why? Because their minds are soaking that up. It's sad that as adults, we stop asking important questions. So this morning, we're going to ask two critical, important questions. If we are striving to live a life of reimagined generosity, these are two questions we have to ask. Question number one. Is trust important? Is trust important? Turn with me to that text in Matthew chapter 6, and let's start with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me drop down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and what? Money. Now, in this next section, I want you to see, anytime you're reading Scripture, I want you to look for an often used repeated word and see if you see what that word is that's repeated time and time again. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. It is not life more than food or the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. This is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Let's read verse 33 together. But seek first the kingdom of righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Did you catch the word used about a hundred times? Worry. Some of you are worried right now about Thursday. What you're going to prepare and who's coming or travel or all of the details that go into it. Uh, one of the things I used to love to do uh, is I would get up early on Thanksgiving morning and I would go to Starbucks with my favorite book usually and uh, I would just for about an hour, because we would always drive to St. Louis and then up to see my wife's folks, and so it was a full day driving. So I had to, not liquor, I mean, I, I drank a lot of coffee. I know you're like, whoa, here we go. And uh, I would love to just hear people talking about their Thanksgiving plans. I, just, I don't know why, I just love to hear the background of people, what they were going to be doing. We all are busy, and we all know what Thanksgiving's all about, but here's the deal, we also stress and we worry a lot in our lives. I read about a survey that came out of Great Britain, and uh, there were over 2,000 people that were surveyed about the subject of worry. They found that the average person spent two hours a day uh, pretty much intensely worrying about something. 84% of those surveys said that they lost sleep consistently because they were worried about something. Now, of course, that's Great Britain. I mean, let's be honest. We don't have that problem, Right? Seriously, we all have that problem. I mean, what are the things right now you're worried about? I mean, seriously, what are the things? 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must be proven faithful. Trust and faith. They're first cousins. God says, is trust important? And we would have to say, yeah, we know trust is very important. 
Now, an expert on the subject uh, who deals a lot with shame and distrust is an author and a researcher. Her name is Renee Brown. Uh, she spoke a couple of years at our leadership summit there at Sherwood Oaks. And I actually have the article here that I think is outstanding. And I saw her sharing with a large group why trust is so important. And she came up with this acronym, and it was BRAVING. I never heard it put this way, BRAVING. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But I want you to just listen to a few of her words about trust and how important trust is. B is simply boundaries. Uh, there's no trust without boundaries. Reliability, and that's simply you do what you say you're going to do. Reliability. Accountability is a big part of trust. Accountability isn't being perfect. perfect. It's simply when you make a, make a mistake, you own it. You, you wave the white flag and, and quickly say, I'm the one that made the mistake. Vault, confidentiality, integrity. Now, I love what she says about integrity and trust. I want you to listen to her words. This is, this is so good. It's choosing courage over comfort. It's choosing what's right over what's fun, fast, or easy. And practicing your values, not just professing your values, integrity. Non-judgment is simply the idea of willingness to ask for help, and then generosity. We've been talking a lot about generosity. Trust is when you begin to give your life to Jesus Christ every day, and you begin to trust others, and you become trustworthy in your life. Generosity is a byproduct of that. And that's what we all should be striving for. We would all agree that trust is critical. I love this quote. I trust you is, is a better compliment than I love you. Because you may not always trust the person you love, but you will always love the person you trust. My guess is this year, and this would be an extremely painful conversation, if I sat down with every one of you one-on-one -on -one, and I said, this year, were you hurt from an individual that you trusted who totally dissolved that trust? And my guess is there's a lot of pain here this morning. I asked myself that this, this week, and I got to tell you, I didn't want to wrestle with that question. And then here's where it really gets tough. Have I been in any situation where I was not trustworthy? that I hurt someone. So if you're ever wondering, is trust important in a relationship? Absolutely. It's not an easy question, but it's a question we have to ask. And then the second question is, is trusting God important? Proverbs 3.5, I bet many of you this is your life verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. How many of you ever heard that verse? Yeah. It should be on a lot of folks' tombstone, really. Uh, we learn this the hard way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on what? Your own understanding. We know trust is important, but are we willing to truly trust God? That same survey I mentioned, do you want to guess what the number one through four things that they worried about? Interesting. Number one, work. Number two, Money, number three, the health of others, and number four, their own health. Isn't that interesting? Now, I want you to think about money 
and, and those four things, work, money, personal finance, somebody else's health, your health. Boy, money drives all those things. And so if you really want to pursue trusting God, here's where it gets real. Do you trust him with your money? Now, let me be honest. You already know this. I'm kind of weird. Um, I'll tell you, I've known a lot of ministers, and almost every minister I know, they do not like to talk about money. This is where I'm weird. I don't mind talking about money at all. Number one, I have none of it, so that makes it easy. But I'm serious. Here's, here's a couple reasons why I don't have a problem talking about trusting God, especially with money. First of all, the Bible talks so much about it. Uh, there are about 500 verses on prayer, approximately 475 verses that deal directly with faith, but there's over 2,000 verses that deal with the priority of possessions and money. Jesus was demonstrating through his words in his life, we all need to have the right perspective about money. Why? Because can money be our master? Absolutely. Jesus said, hey, don't, you can't serve two masters. Don't let money drive your life. Instead, let God drive your life, and then let the money follow. That's not always easy. And a lot of folks always ask me, um, over the years, they're trying to comprehend, and I understand this. If you haven't grown up in church your whole life, and you hear somebody talk about the principle of tithing, that is a foreign principle, and I understand that. I mean, you don't use that word anywhere else. Like, when you go to work, and you're negotiating your contract, you, do you ever say to the boss, you know, I, I, let's, let's get down to the bare bones here. I would like you to tithe better. You know, I would like you to think about giving me a tenth more. They're like, what? tithing, what are you even talking about? But in church world, let's break it down what it means. The, the Old Testament principle, God says, is can you set aside, you should set aside 10%. And that principle is locked all the way through the Old Testament, that whole idea of giving your first fruit. Now, Jesus, if you read through the New Testament, it's interesting. He takes all these Old Testament principles and he actually elevates them. So Jesus is like, you may be tithing, but you actually want to get to a point where you're giving even beyond that. You're generously giving. Now, here's where it gets real. Uh, imagine if we challenge every member at Sherwood Oaks, all the campuses, to tithe. What do you think would come in the plates every week? Can, can you even fathom? Now, it gets hard because most people are like, John, I can't tithe. There's no way. Man, I am in debt. You have no idea my story. You have no idea the stress I'm under. You have no idea the bills that I have to pay. And here's what I would say, and I love what Andy Stanley, his philosophy, uh, ministered out at North Point. He said, start somewhere. Most people, honestly, with their money, they don't even have a plan. So first of all, if you're uh, visiting this morning, uh, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I'm saying if you are a part of the family, like, man, I, I'm a, whether you call it member or a partner, I'm a part of the family at Sherwood Oaks, are you praying about what you're giving, and are you willing to say, Lord, I want to at least be consistent and start with a percentage? Like, Lord, I want to start with something so I'm consistent with my giving because I want my gifts, just like we showed you here before us, I want my gifts to multiply and to help others because that's what it's all about. But start somewhere because if we don't, we realize that we're in a broken world.
and in this broken world, it's a selfish world. I read this the other day, and it is so thought-provoking. In, in 1925, uh, Frederick Lewis Donaldson delivered a sermon at Westminster Abbey, and he said, these are seven signs of a broken world. Seven signs. Now, just listen carefully. Wealth without work, pleasure without conscience, commerce without morality, science without humility, worship without sacrifice, politics without principle, knowledge without character. Now, that's pretty good. That's good preaching. That's a guy a lot sharper than the guy standing right here. I'm telling you that right now. It was so good that somebody took that and printed it in the local paper. came out in April, same area. People started cutting it out of the newspaper. They thought, boy, that is really good. Uh, there was a guy that thought it was so good, he cut it out and decided, I'm going to start teaching that, and I'm going to start living those principles. And he put it in his pocket. He kept it with him for years, and that guy was Gandhi. And when Gandhi was assassinated, that was in his pocket. Now, I want you to think about those words. We go, those words are profound. That came right out of the Scripture. I mean, if you look at all of that. And then I thought, here's a guy that wrote that in 1925 in Britain. Anybody know what happened about a decade after he wrote that? Yeah, World War II. Now, think about that. You talk about a broken world. It's a world that is selfish, a world that is self-centered, and a world that doesn't know what it means to give sacrificially. And we have the honor to do that through the church. We can give sacrificially for others. Chris Butler said this, trust is earned when actions meet words. Now, I share with you that I have an unfair advantage, got to be honest. Number one, I don't have money, uh, but I grew up poor. Uh, I just did. Um, I've shared this before. My, my dad died when I was young. Uh, my mom, a widower, and my sister at the time when my, my, my dad passed away, he was about 14. So they worked hard to keep us above and keep our heads above water. And um, so we just, we just didn't have any money. I didn't know any. I, I just, that's just the way it was. But I remember watching my mother write a check every week, and I had no idea how much or why. Now, when I got older... She would never tell me how much. She just always used this tithe word. I didn't have a clue what that meant. Then I found out, you mean to tell me you're giving away a tenth? Now, when you're a teenager, do you know what that means? That means I'm not getting the shoes I want. That means I'm not getting what I need at Christmas. Now, I know I'm the only selfish teenager, right? You know what I'm saying? And my mom would say, that's just the way it is. And I'm like, Mom, we don't have the money. And she's like, that's the end of this conversation. That is the way it is. Now, here's how crazy. When I got my first job in high school, you know what I started doing? Tithing. I had no idea even why I was doing that. And I remember setting, I can remember the spot. I had a good friend of mine. He goes, hey, Robertson, let's go uh, catch a movie. And then I got this great place, this new place that serves fried chicken. And I'm like, I can't go. And he, he grabbed my wallet. What a jerk. And he, he goes, dude, there's money right there. And I said, that's for church I got to put that in the offering plate. He goes, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I go, it's a tithe. He goes, what's a tithe? I don't know. I don't know. And he goes, well, why do you do that? I said, I don't know. That's just the way my mom, my mom, okay, you know. 
And that went over well, you know. And he goes, I'll just pay for you. And I said, oh, okay, I'll go. You know, so <laughs> I, I, grew, I grew up with this principle. That's all, all I've ever known, okay? I know for so many people, this is so foreign, and I understand that. I understand the struggle. So I understand that I had an unfair advantage. I watched my mom do this every week. But when I was a kid, this time of year, something happened, and it has stuck with me my entire life. Um, I was very self-conscious about being poor because I lived in a neighborhood where all my friends, it, it was this beautiful lake community, they were not poor. I didn't have friends over the house. I mean, I was kind of embarrassed, just to be honest. Um, but one day, four or five of the guys from church, uh, a couple of elders, a couple of deacons, showed up, bags of groceries, and then I realized every year, around this time of year, they showed up with groceries. So one day I go, hey, Mom, do they think we're poor? And my mom sat me down. And she opened up the Bible. She turned to James 1.27. She said, you know, the Bible says to take care of the widows and the orphans. John, we're not poor. These men are doing what God's called them to do. That's why they're here. It changed everything for me. It changed everything. Because from a kid watching this year after year, there came a point when the light bulb came on, I'm like, you know what, I think that's what the church is all about. I think that's why they put money in the plate. It's funny how you start to finally figure things out. And that's all I want to challenge you this morning. When you talk about trust, trust is critical. And we talk about trusting God, we know that's critical. And the toughest, to me, the toughest thing to trust God with is our money. It's, it's our money. And so my prayer is that we'll learn to just trust God. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to have a very special communion time. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that you, you demonstrated generosity with every word, and every action. And Lord, we know we can't serve two masters. It's, uh, we need to trust you and trust you with everything, and that includes our wallet. Thank you for loving us so much that you taught us that perfect lesson. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.